Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 5th of March 2018. I'm Joe and with me are Jesse. Bonsoir, Joe. <laughs> Ike. They let me back. <laughs> and Phelim. Guten Abend. Ah, guten Abend. Yes, so uh, I am ill, but we're going to plow on regardless. So if I don't say much, then we know why. And Phelim's pretty tired, so it's down to the other two. So let's start with Sailfish OS. YOLO have announced Sailfish 3, which not only is it going to be new and shinier, it's also going to be on new devices, including feature phones. Mm, that's a really great idea, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure we're all like jumping out trying to go and get a feature phone just to try this out. But uh, I, I get the impression it's because Yola is able to use up, down, left, right buttons, whereas like Android and everything is so fixed on swipes that there's no other way of having it on a phone. So you, you can't even sort of downgrade it. But yeah, the two new phones you're talking about are the, the Sony Xperia XA2. And if you haven't heard of it, that's probably because it's a 250 quid phone and it's not the sort of flagship that everyone shouts about. Uh, and a Gemini, Gemini, sorry, PDA which is a Kickstarter or Indiegogo at the moment, I think. Um, and it's quite slick looking. It's like that little tiny um, one that everyone raved about recently. What's the little clamshell computer that everyone loved? The GPD Pocket. Yeah, it came out around the same time. The Well, the Kickstarter was around the same time, I think. So it's has it been delivered? I'm not sure. But I kind of uh, wanted one at the time, but it seemed very expensive for what it was. But now you've got this third option on it because it was going to dual boot Android and Linux, proper Linux, if I recall correctly. So now having Selfish as well seems pretty cool. But Selfish was like dead in the water, wasn't it? They were pretty much fucked Yolo as a company. And now they've kind of reversed their fortunes with this Selfish X thing where they're selling the ROMs for $50 or whatever. And it seems to have worked, doesn't it? Otherwise they wouldn't be releasing new phones and plowing on. Yeah, also I think the the sort of big thing that I'm waiting for is the announcement from the Russian government that they're looking at promoting YOLO as the one that um, I think government workers or at least government approved phones are going to be YOLO based. So that has got to massively increase just the usage, maybe not the market share so much, but you know the number of people using it and thrashing it, what have you. And you know, you and I have, have mentioned a couple of times, having having messed around with uh, Selfish in the past, that it's it's very slick, and the fact that you can run Android apps on it is is vital and very useful, and means that I think it's well, apart from the fact that there's very few uh, other competitors out there, uh, you know, it's, it's the one to to watch that that may well have some uh, chance of disrupting Android. Do we know the fifty euro cost for the OS? Is that per year, once off, or what is it? can't remember now i think it was a one-off cost and then you get updates at least for a while i don't know if a major version update costs you again i'd have to look that up yeah i should have uh, you should have asked me that before sorry but it's interesting that russia want to go for a non-american made os eh? rather than ios and android which are made by big american companies i think there's a bit of politics going on there that they want something made by europeans instead yeah, I mean, if you go back far enough, Finland, which is uh, where Yola are based, uh, are Russian anyway, so it's not even... It's not <laughs> oh, yeah, even the, the Finnish audience are going to love that, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> well, we buy their gas, they at least could buy our knockoff crappy mobile phones. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, well, speaking of phones, it's pretty phone-heavy this week, the news at least. Let's talk about Linux on Galaxy, or is it Linux on Dex? So basically, if you have certain Samsung phones and you buy a Dex dock 
and plug it into it and plug your screen in and stuff, you're going to eventually be able to have a full Linux desktop. And there's a video of it showing what it's capable of. And it's, I don't know to what extent it's mock-ups and to what extent it's actual production ready, but it does seem pretty interesting. We've seen a lot of attempts at this over the years, obviously with Convergence with Ubuntu phone and with um, Mario OS, which I always bang on about because I think that's the way to do it. So do we have any faith that Samsung is going to deliver a proper Linux desktop on a, one of their octa-core phones with this dock? I think I just feel like I was in the Lego movie all the time. People keep asking me if I was a DJ all the time. Walking around my Samsung Dex. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's D-E-X, isn't it? Not Dex. But, um, have you watched this video, Ike? Yeah, um, I mean, one of the standout things is it's using Enlightenment, which should come as no shock because Samsung have been behind Tizen and Enlightenment, so they basically fund the development now of EFL. Um, obviously, Resterman is still the top guy, but the, the stack is there already. They have the hardware. They've been doing Linux for God knows how long. You know, They've been there with the Linux Foundation already doing mobile projects. So I can't see why it's not going to happen. Not to say it's going to be successful, but... It might be because, to be fair, I mean, it's got stuff like Eclipse in there already. So they hook their phone up to a computer and then they can build the apps to make the money to do all that. It's kind of circular and it makes sense, even if it is using Enlightenment. (laughs) And is this the kind of thing that you could do the basic coding development on and then ship out the actual real uh, hard processor power work to like, you know, the main server or something and then have the, have that app return to test on your phone is that is that the sort of setup that you're expecting there yeah i mean you can you can basically use it as a full development environment i mean most of the people who are doing anything with android development are using eclipse or you know like uh, they already have adb on this so anything you need for android development is already on this image so you can build it test it there then actually test it on the real phone itself it's you know, it's a no-brainer. There's nothing to lose. They don't have to go off and get expensive licenses for Windows or even other computers because they, now they only really need keyboard and mouse and screen as opposed to getting another computer just for development. So I think it's going to... I think it will benefit some people. But these Android apps are Java-based, aren't they? And doesn't that take ages to compile on a shitty ARM processor? Not really. I mean, it's already doing compilation. Um, anytime you've updated to a new Android release and it says that it's optimizing blah, blah, blah for the new Android release, it's actually doing recompilation of the entire, thi- uh, the entire thing so that it's using the same class format as the new Java runtime, which it's not like the Oracle Java <laughs> sensitive area. <laughs> they have their own Java. And then, the, you know, there's the native part of it as well. But for the Java code, it's, it's really not going to take that long to do it. And it's only bytecode anyway, so part of it is compilation, and most of it is in the VM itself. Well, we already know they can run Java virtual machines pretty effectively because the apps are already doing that. So, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty viable. And if you're talking about waiting a few seconds for, you know, and to, to build your entire project, that's not going to put anyone off. And the fact that Eclipse can actually run on it, <laughs> and Eclipse is a pig on any system. So if it can already run on that device, that's, you know, that's pretty good there. And what about you, Phelim? As a sysadmin, have you got any interest? I mean, I know that you don't want to buy something that's running all proprietary stuff, but at least in the concept, do you have any interest in being able to use your phone as a Linux workstation? Well, you answered the first question already. <laughs> I don't want to plug a giant proprietary blob into my 
network no what if they open sourced it and it was able to be used in lineage then i'll just bring a laptop because if i'm already needing a keyboard and a mouse and a dock somewhere then i just bring a laptop it's just easier because at least i know i've got all the tools i want on there already then i don't have to worry that the dock isn't there because you know i'm going to bring it to loads of different locations if i want to really do any decent work i'm going to be at my workstation at home if i'm going to go to data center or a client or something like that i'm going to bring my laptop so i know that i've got my stuff with me like i'm not going to know that there's a dock somewhere now unless i bring the dex thing around with me then i'd need there to be a monitor that i can plug into there yeah and then that monitor's not going to have hdmi you're going to have to have some sort of connector and then at, yeah and then at that point i'm going to be trailing around a bag full of bits i mean it's what am i mean, like it's going to be like i've got a mac then at that point with all the dongles i'll need and yeah that's ridiculous i mean who wants to be like that just a laptop in parts <laughs> dongleitis like like a, like a one person uh project a team you know whatever you make up like yourself it is not made for but if you were in a small you know small to medium 10 to 50 people you could have all these little decks and a keyboard and a mouse you know like sort of hot deck hot desks basically sort of get my decks and desks properly and then someone could just rock up with their phone because problem is i i have a, a laptop that we use for work and you know if i go to work i take it there for work from home i work from home but it means that i'm bringing this thing backs and forwards even on days i know i'm going to be in work the next day in case there's a tube strike or the snow comes heaven forbid or wherever it might be and so i'm lugging this laptop you know up and down on my commute um i commute by train so hence it's more of an effort than just chucking the back of a car but if i just brought my phone the work phone plugged it in because i knew they had these decks and then it would obviously have the keyboard and monitor what have you it'd actually be pretty slick so i think it's it's good for corporate kind of environments but you know all the same problems that you were pointing out there, um, Phelim. If if I had it as like a personal, just fun phone to have, I couldn't go to my parents and go like, look at this. But oh, I haven't got a deck or this or that. It, you know, it doesn't only works if you've got the infrastructure set up on scale, I think. And it's one of those things where all of a sudden now upgrading the desk in the office becomes really expensive because the decks thing is the now the thing that has to be upgraded for everybody and you're now tied to the one type of phone for everybody in the office too. And you've kind of roped yourself in because God's sake, it's not going to be a standard anyway, is it? Because they couldn't all agree to that sort of thing. So yeah, I don't know. A cheap laptop, cheap phone is going to be cheaper than just one of these things together, I think. And it's going to get launched down a staircase by mistake at some point too. So I don't know. Yeah, even a, a fairly cheap Chromebook or something that you run proper Linux on is probably going to be a better bet than this, isn't it? So yeah, maybe it's uh, not going to do that well, but we'll have to see. I'm concerned that it's going to be horribly proprietary, but you never know. They might surprise us and make it open source and open standards. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, speaking of open source and phones, Lineage 15.1 has been released, and I have not tried it yet, even though one of the devices that it is available for is mine the oneplus 3t i think it's available for the three as well so three of us could have tried it how many of us have tried it oh i tried it's brilliant you should try it too and then tell me about how it went for you and we can compare <laughs> notes oh what went wrong nothing i just want to see how it went for you so tell me about it tomorrow okay 
<laughs> well, the thing is that I can't be wiping my phone, basically. I daren't um, try a kind of in-place upgrade because the, the OTA thing just doesn't work. It says you can't do it. So I need to do some wiping, and I daren't do that with my production phone because I need it for work. I'm so busy at the moment with work that I just cannot be risking it. So I think it's going to be a couple of weeks before I get a chance to try it. And yes, and this is why I find myself in the position where I haven't updated my phone with a few security patches I should have done for the last couple of months as well. It's, uh, yeah. Hmm. Ah, I see. What about you, Jesse? Uh, I don't even have uh, Lineage on my 3T. I've got the stock Oxygen. Uh, sorry, not 3T, 3. Um, it's got stock Oxygen. And I, you, you failed to mention there that it's actually quite a short list that has... Uh, the 15.1 upgrade ready for it. There's only like the OnePluses, a couple of Samsungs and a couple of Google phones. There's maybe like a dozen or so out of the huge list of all the stuff that Lineage supports generally. Uh, but no, haven't upgraded it. But the fact that it is now on Oreo makes it very appealing because if I had upgraded, I've been stepping back to use Lineage, which is never that much fun. You get kind of used to all the features, don't you? Mm. It's to do with Project Treble, isn't it? That's why there are so few phones available, but they are working on the other ones and the other tablets and things. So we'll have to see about that. But I do look forward to trying it, but I just cannot commit to it right now, unfortunately. But it's good to see that they are plowing on. It's taken them a long time, and it's all about this Project Treble stuff. That's why it's taken a long time. And hopefully now, going forward, it's going to be much easier for them because of the Project Treble stuff. So we'll have to see how that works out and how many devices actually end up with 15.1. So given this is Project Treble, does that mean that there's a newer kernel version that's going to come out of this? Do you know? That's a good question. I don't suppose so, but I don't know. I should have, again, looked into it. Ask me before these difficult questions. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I looked I, I looked, and I, I actually honestly couldn't find anything about it, which is really annoying because you would expect that that would have been one of the requirements of the actual update because they do seem to have a really good charter of things that you should and should not do. Um, and I would have thought that a decent kernel upgrade would have been part of that, so not sure. But they've added um, some new phones that have come onto their list, some old phones that were not supported and now re-supported, and they've got, unfortunately, a couple of phones at the bottom of the list which have dropped out of support, and I noticed that the Samsung Galaxy S3 US version has been dropped out of support, so that is a very close call for my long and very long in the tooth s3 uk version uh, which does run lineage so i'll go and uh, update that we'll chat about it next show maybe yeah but you mentioned the charter there Phelim, and that's quite interesting that now they've got this official document that says in order to have official lineage support you need to meet these basic standards and some of them you would hope they would have been doing already like wi-fi works and stuff like that so at least they've got that set in stone now and you got loads of unofficial builds, obviously, on XTA and everything, but oh, you know that. <laughs> I know, I know you don't like forums and stuff, whatever. But at least now you know if it's officially supported by Lineage, everything's going to work, which is uh, always a good start. <laughs> it's nice, all right. Okay, and rounding off the sort of phone-related news this fortnight is that Gnome blah, 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 <laughs> uh, have some news, and... <laughs> That is that they are putting some development into um, how the applications will transform on different sized uh, screens. So it turns out, and this is something I didn't know before, that there are two sort of main layouts for Gnome applications. There's a row of panels or a stack of panels. And so if you've got panels 
you know subsections of your uh, application in vertical stacks it's fine if the screen gets narrower but if you have them as a row of panels and you the screen gets narrower it all goes horribly wrong so they've started to look at how you squash that row into a smaller space and i was just dicking around with um files and so if you it's got you know all the home directories down the left hand side and your main panel on the right hand side if you squash that it just gets to a point where it doesn't squash anymore because it can't do anything with these two rows of information so in the example that they've got on um planet gnome they they have a little video that shows it's actually i hate to say it very similar to what kd are doing where one of them sort of suddenly disappears and you have a way of of switching to that other panel and then if you if you expand it again it reappears and it sort of magically floats in and what have you so it's all the preparatory work upstream to help things like um purism and their purism five phone that we were talking about last show and so it's it's nice to see that there's there's sort of a need downstream and gnome are recognizing that and putting some work in to make it easier for for these projects uh, just to clarify this isn't actually part of gtk this is a separate library called libhandy it's a utility library used by purism libhandy as in the german for mobile phone i no idea. Uh, they call it a handy, isn't it? Like a, I think it's short for handset or something. But I oh. wonder if that's anything to do with it. I'd imagine it probably is. I just thought in my mind, it's like, oh, that that toolkit's fair handy. Do you know, <laughs> <laughs> that was my interpretation. I remember last time I was in Germany many years ago. There was an advert on the telly for handy disco, and so that has always been there. Uh, <laughs> get the clip. And it's uh, I should stop being racist against Germans. Anyway, so this isn't actually upstream then. This is something that Purism have done themselves. Um, well, I don't know if it's gone upstream, but at the moment it is in a separate utility library. It's sort of in the same vein as LibDazzle, which is used by Gnome Builder. Um, separate libraries. Effectively, they're bolting on nicer functionality on top of gtk but it's not part of gtk itself so you wouldn't just be able to go build another application and automatically get this support you would have to use those custom containers in that library which obviously isn't the end of the world but you know just to clarify this isn't something that's currently upstream because there's one thing that gtk is not very good at no let me rephrase it if there's one thing that gtk is god awful appalling at is knowing the size and acquisitions of widgets. It's notoriously bad. Um, so it wouldn't be able to do this sort of stuff by itself. That's why they're making custom containers. I would like to see them end upstream because that's sort of the what all the toolkits are trying to do now. They're basically copying what the web has been doing for the last few years, and that's be responsive. Do not expect a certain screen size and stop setting a fixed minimum width on windows and stop ignoring aspect ratios. So... It, it's going to benefit everyone regardless of form factor when this all does start going upstream. Fair enough. All right, on to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It's very much appreciated. And if you're out there thinking about it on the fence, then go to latenightlinux.com slash support and give us a few quid every month or whatever. It's uh, going to help the lights stay on and keep the show on the road, that sort of thing. Um, and go to latenightlinux.com slash contact for ways to get in touch with us. Um, Another quick plug for Fuss Talk Live, where the tickets are available. About half of them are gone. It's free. It's on the 9th of June in London. It's going to be us and the Ubuntu podcast and whatever Linux voice becomes. And also uh, Stuart Langridge and Dave Megaslippers and Marius Quarbeck <laughs> and maybe me. Megaslippers is not funny. He it's is. just his name. Um, so, yeah, there's tickets. Go to fosstalk.com 
and get your tickets and come and see at least some of us. Ike's not coming, but the uh, the other three of us will be there. So Ian Kenning asked us to mention the Libra Planet Conference, which is Saturday and Sunday, the 24th and 25th of March, so coming up pretty soon, at MIT in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And this is a kind of FSF thing, isn't it? So Stallman's going to be there and various other people. Um, I can't remember what he said in his email. He said that, like, I would say it looks shit, but uh, you should go anyway. It, it's almost like he channeled you. It was the, uh, like a Joe Ouija board. Look, if I lived anywhere near there, I'd be going, put it that way. It looks cool. I'd like to see Stormin talk and all the rest of it. So, yes, if you're in that area, go and check it out. So this episode of Late Night Linux is sponsored by Entroware. And Entroware are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK. And they sell computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 16.04 and 17.10. And they have loads of laptops and a couple of desktops and a couple of servers. And the laptops go from affordable stuff that's kind of your just light browsing machines all the way up to powerhouses with dedicated NVIDIA graphics that you can do 3D art and video editing and graphic design, that sort of thing. And more or less everything is configurable in terms of storage and processors and RAM. So you're bound to be able to find something to suit your budget. And they ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And remember, as I always say, this is a company that cares about Linux. It's all they do. It's not a sideline for them. They are a company that specializes in this stuff. So uh, if you do buy one of their machines, then do mention us at checkout. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. Right, so we're going to talk about something now, Triscoll and freedom versus pragmatism. And this is a topic that we have been planning to do for a year, pretty much, since we started this show. And it's always been backburnered. And now we've finally run out of stuff to talk about. So we're going to talk about this. <laughs> now, I'd been wanting to for ages anyway. And I think it's nearing release because this is, it's basically a fork of Ubuntu that's completely Libra. There's no um, drivers, blobs, or anything. It's a Libra kernel. It's totally free software. And it's endorsed by the FSF. So that's how free it is. And there is a development release, which is version 8, which is based on Ubuntu 16.04. And given that 18.04 is due out soon, um, they better get their finger out, quite frankly. Now, to be fair, this is a development release. So I don't think that we need to talk too much necessarily about the bugs and all the rest of it. Um, and I'd be far more interested in learning about how much of your hardware actually worked with it, because that is what I use Triscoll for. When I get a new machine, boot Triscoll on it, see what works, see what doesn't. And if it doesn't work with Triscoll, but it does work with other distros, then it's running blobs, and that's not very good. Um, so we all had some slight issues getting it working. I had to resort to a DVD, uh, which made me feel like a caveman. Ike, you had to sort of patch the ISO to make it work, didn't you? Yeah, I had to finish it off for them. <laughs> what exactly did you do briefly? Basically, they did not build a hybrid ISO, and their own instructions tell you how to DD the ISO to a USB. The only way you can do that if it's already a hybrid ISO to start with. It was not. And so what was the magic? Uh, basically, install SysLinux and run the ISO hybrid command on the ISO file. It will complain about the size. Um, but ignore it because no BIOS really cares anymore. That will trash EFI booting, but at least you'll be able to boot it at all <laughs> at that point, uh, unless you want to wait four years and a time machine to get a DVD. 
But yeah, that does actually make it boot. All right. Well, I had a lot of success in terms of my hardware. I tried the other development release, an older one, about a year ago. That's how long it's been in development, this 8.0 version. And more or less all my hardware worked because I don't really have any fancy hardware. It's all Intel-based graphics and all the rest of it. The odd Wi-Fi card here and there doesn't work. But otherwise, I was pleasantly surprised how much of my hardware runs Libra software. So how did the rest of you get on? So I missed the memo about the development release. Uh, and I dumbly downloaded the version 7. And I didn't DD it due to past DD experiences and, uh, and used Etcher instead, which gave me a usable ISO on a, a thumb drive. And so I tried it on my uh, newly acquired Entro laptop. Didn't get recognized at all. So I was a bit concerned about that. But when I put it onto my ThinkPad, which is due for sale very soon, should anyone want a second-hand ThinkPad, and uh, it worked perfectly. So I don't know quite what the difference is there. Um, but yeah, so I got it booted up with the um, USB jobby, installed it all, and basically what I expected, the Wi-Fi, not even like a hint of it, not even accepting that I might have a Wi-Fi card in the machine or maybe I should do something with it, just no Wi-Fi, flat out. Um, the nipple and the touchpad and the sound worked. The sound worked because as soon as you install it, the um, Orca screen recorder starts talking to you and I was very impressed and then very shortly annoyed. So I was like, right, I'll mute that, thank you very much, and uh, and went on and installed it. So I think it, it seemed to work pretty well with the ThinkPad apart from the, the Wi-Fi. Failing, how did you get on? You've got a desktop, so presumably that worked quite well, apart from your graphics card. Uh, yeah, it's a NVIDIA graphics card and that, so Nouveau drivers all the way there. Um, and that was okay. That was fine. Um, I had weirdness with that initially, though, because it wouldn't actually sort of detect the screens properly and stuff. I don't know what was going on. I this machine's been a bit odd a few times though, where um, it like once the primary graphics card is not working properly, it kind of black screen stuff. I, I have no idea. I just don't know. I give up on it most of the time. I just want a new PC eff- effectively. So I'm trying to orchestrate some sort of catastrophic crash with the pets where <laughs> if I can get the cat and the dog to somehow knock it over and then I have to get a new one, that'd be great. Um, so I'm trying to orchestrate that anyway. But uh, my Dell um, Ubuntu laptop worked like a charm. That's Intel all the way. So that was perfect. Wi-Fi and everything? Yeah, Wi-Fi worked fine. Um, oh, great. That's uh, But it's it's an Intel chipset all the way through. So that was grand. I could see all, my, all the Wi-Fi cards all the way through. Um, the only thing I had was the trouble with the boot, um, which uh, Ike's fix sorted out because there's no um dvd drive in this thing it's too thin for it yeah so the only way to get it to boot is to actually use usb stick and sure i was stuffed until he sorted that out so that was fine um and my wife's laptop is the dell 15 inch studio and that i have no idea what was wrong with that and i didn't want to break it and it would not boot oh and that was something to do with efi and weirdness and as i have legacy boot enabled on mine I wasn't even going near EFI in that thing. I'm just, I don't understand it. I don't want to understand it. I don't know what it does and I'm just not touching it. Yeah, same. But Ike, you're into the old uh, EFI boot, aren't you? Yep. Not that I have a machine now that can EFI boot, but yeah, thanks for reminding me, Joel. (laughs) 
All right. So your crap top, your so-called crap top, is so old that it has a BIOS then? Yeah. Actually, wow. no, this one does have EFI, but it is locked down. You cannot change secure boot on it, which you're not allowed to do unless it's an ARM device with Windows 8. So I was slightly pissed about that. And then I sort of, like, became failing. I don't need EFI. <laughs> Just wipe <laughs> the entire machine. I shall look at Grub. Now I don't have to because I have an external monitor. And by the time it fires up, I haven't seen Grub, so I don't care anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. So did it work on your crap top then? I mean... Once I had to monkey patch the ISO and finish it off for them, um, which I'm hoping they do fix before they actually put out a final release because if you want people to use it, <laughs> they have to be able to use it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it surprisingly, it worked on the janky American laptop. Like, and I don't mean like it's janky because it's American. I'm not saying that. <laughs> it's like some, it's like got cyber in the name. Like it's some proper moody brand altogether. Um, this is your Optimus one. Yeah, that's the Optimus one. It actually booted. Like I got it to boot on that one. I was like, okay, that's the, the older one. On my main uh, dual Spudcore laptop that I'm using now, <laughs> <laughs> it, <laughs> it did not see shockingly the broadcom which is a bit of a shame because those actual drivers that this one needs are not the b43 they are in the upstream kernel and it did not see the wi-fi on this laptop but are they blobs in the kernel yes and so i just want to dispel a little myth here just because something is intel all the way through does not mean it doesn't need firmware it actually does. If you look in any of the Linux firmware packages, you will see tons of them. Like Broxton upwards, you will see loads of them. Sometimes certain GPUs now with the IGP GPUs. That's a lot of letters. They require um, the firmware to actually operate now. Uh, the newer Wi-Fi, say like you get the ones that are Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, they also need firmware to work properly. So you can't get away from the fact that you still need blobs for those. It's the same for like even the AMD stuff. You have AMD GPU drivers, you're still going to be using the firmware to access them. But I digress. The I, I mainly tested on the Optimus Cyber Janky Yoke, which will forever be its name. Stuff worked. It was using the Nuva Pillow Duvet driver. Move on. <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt the name. <laughs> um, some form of pillow, anyway. Um, I I got a screen on there. Then I was like, okay, because the, the first thing you're thinking is like, this is free, it's like really, really free. I bet they don't have codecs. Like, I bet they don't know what files are. You know, like that part of your brain's gone off. So I thought I'll open up a browser. It was literally called. A browser. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so I was looking at it, it's like, this yoke is trolling me, but I will go with the game anyway. The first thing it did was like privacy settings. I was kicked back to Windows 10 tablet installs. All these privacy settings, like, yeah, I should skip all of those. So there's like this privacy focus. I went onto YouTube and it worked. It actually played HD stuff. Like, and as you know, the only thing I need on any machine <laughs> is YouTube and a terminal. And it did actually Wi-Fi on that other one, um, which has some form of Moody Realtek in there. All right. And mm. it actually did Wi-Fi. The duvet pillow worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny that you talk about it being free and the assumptions that you would have about that. Um, 
when I was checking it out on the desktop machine that I share with my wife, that's mostly hers, um, I said to her, check this out. And I said, this is completely free, FSF endorsed. She said, wow, it looks pretty good for something that's completely free. <laughs> right. Like she was expecting it to look shit. It does look, uh, I mean, I'm not going to use the word beautiful, but it does look modern and nice enough, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things they could improve. Like one of the things that annoyed me is it has more potential than I think they realize. And I know that sounds weird coming from me because, you know, sort of conflict of interest slightly, maybe. But... If they was to get rid of the shite, shite menu that's there, like it's the old, old Mate one from like Gnome 2 point, I don't have a history book, and it doesn't respond to the super key. See, I said super, not Windows. Uh, it's not really user-friendly enough, but with like some minor tweaks. Like if they, if that ISO had worked with a DD, first of all, and I had a nice menu that was searchable. Uh, I don't know, say like a brisk menu. <laughs> yeah. Funny you said that. Uh, or any sort of menu like that. Even like the older, uh, the mint one that was forked over to Mate. Any sort of menu like that. It would have just made that onboarding experience like a thousand times better. Because the icons really weren't that bad. I think they're like a, a fork of an older elementary icon set. Perhaps I might be wrong on that. They didn't pay for updates. Oh, <laughs> that was bitch clubs. <laughs> if Sorry. they was to do away with like that whole onboarding experience with a browser, <laughs> don't get started on that. But if it was like a post-install step or even part of their modified ubiquity, that you did all that so like you knew what you was getting up front. It's like, okay, this is privacy focused because it respects my freedoms. If you did all that like in one go and then you just had that smoother desktop experience, it would be, you know, it would be getting favorable reviews, to be quite honest about it. And I'm surprised to find myself saying that, but, you know, it does work reasonably well. And for people who have, like, normal laptops or ultrabooks, it's going to just work. Yeah, depending on your Wi-Fi card, if you've got Intel or whatever, then the chances are it is going to just work. Yeah, I mean, nine times out of ten, you're going to be fine. But if you've got, like, some oddball thing, like mine with the janky Broadcom in there, then you're sort of shit out of luck. But that isn't so common anymore. Yeah, but on my desktop machine, for example, I don't have the proprietary NVIDIA drivers. I've got a really shit, I think it's a G2100 or something. Uh, no, G210 or something. It's it really doesn't have a model shit. number. It just has like a barcode on it. That's yeah, it but, but Triscoll works absolutely fine on that. And I don't use Wi-Fi on it. I have an Ethernet connection on that. So there's no reason why I couldn't use it rather than Ubuntu. Um, but it's it's the older version of Mate, isn't it? It's... Um, uh, 1.12 yeah I mean if they could get that up to somehow if they could get that up to 1.20 like basically they need to rebase on the latest Ubuntu right yeah and there's just minor minor things they would have to fix and they would seriously have something very compelling on their hands and it does feel like they've undershot their own estimation as to what they can do because it's minor stuff and then they could recreate the which for a lot of Linux users was the ideal Linux desktop, was, say, Ubuntu 10.04 or Ubuntu 10.10, which I think was Maverick and Johnny or some weird ship, Lucid and Maverick. Um, that's how the alphabet works. <laughs> then they would be easily able to recreate that experience because it runs fast enough as well. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just basically Ubuntu, isn't it, with no blobs? Yeah, I mean, they've had to effectively rebuild most of it though because they they aren't using the ubuntu repos at all so they must be like effectively taken from ubuntu which ubuntu is already doing to debian in the first place yeah yeah so i mean that that leads on to the broader point then and 
could we see ourselves using it if we had hardware that was capable? I mean, the thing is, I tried just for the sake of it to install Chrome, and that worked fine because it's basically Ubuntu at the end of the day. And Isn't that the equivalent of walking into a church with a flaming cross? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but the, the point that I'm making is that you can have a completely Libra base and then you can put whatever you want on top of that, including proprietary stuff, if you want. And you can get SnapD running, you have to install it, and then you can snap install whatever you want, proprietary bullshit, if you so want. And so it's it's kind of appealing to me to know that you've got something that is completely free software, open source, whatever you want to call it, and that I'm in complete control, therefore, of what proprietary stuff is running, rather than having a distro like Ubuntu, which has got a lot of blobs in it for pragmatic reasons that I don't necessarily need. But wouldn't you end up just installing those blobs or the proprietary bits that you want for easy things to work? Like if there was a Google Drive application on Linux, you'd install that because you use Google Docs and Google Drive and things. And so... I don't really understand the idea of having a free base and then accepting that you're going to be thrashing loads of or non-free stuff on top of it. It just seems a bit, well, it, it, it seems a bit counterintuitive. Well, on my desktop machine, the only bit of proprietary software there is Chrome, and that's only because Google Maps is shit in Firefox, um, whereas all the other stuff is just free software. So I, there's basically no reason why I couldn't use Triscoll on it. I'm not going to because I'm happy enough with Ubuntu. Um, and this is Mate rather than XFCE, which is perfectly acceptable to me, but um, I'm just happy enough with Ubuntu, so why change? So, I mean, could any of the rest of us see ourselves moving to it? I know, Phelium, you are so hardcore KDE that you would never move to a GTK desktop. It's not going to happen, no. <laughs> but what about something that was based on it with KDE, say? Well, yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, I like the fact that there is a distro there that is working on something that, yes, you don't need blobs that are identifying hardware that you can buy that runs with this, that you can go, you know, I'm not going to get stuck in five years' time with a driver that's unsupported. You know, that I think that's important because you, you don't want to get stuck with a, a card that becomes useless, you know, a big giant paperweight, essentially. So I think that's good. And you're supposed to be the one who cares about this stuff. You don't use any Google stuff on your phone. And I am being pragmatic, yes, because I don't want to waste on um, electronic gear that becomes useless. Yes, that is what I am doing. Well, what if they add plasma to their default selection? We could call it Piscal. The, the only problem is the fact that it is a little out of date. I mean, it does take an awful lot of time to get to the point where they are right now. That is yeah. the only issue. I am trying to ignore the other two taking the piss. Quite literally. They're probably going to miss the 1804 release, aren't they? So they're, they're going to be over an LTS behind, probably by the time this is production ready, which doesn't inspire a lot of confidence, does it? And it's a surprise, really, given that they've got this endorsement by the FSF. There can't be many people working on it. And it's a shame, really, because... It is a really good test of hardware. For me, it is yeah. a tool, much like um, other specialist distros that you might use, um, like Kali or whatever. This is a tool that I use to test hardware to see how Libra it is. It does raise uh, an interesting point, I think. Should we, and I say we as distro people, 
Should we therefore be targeting Libra first and making the proprietary stuff opt in? That wouldn't be a terrible idea, but... You'd have to have separate ISOs. You just have to. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have to have a Libra ISO because mm. most people have got various um, Wi-Fi cards and stuff that are not going to work. Yeah, just update. It's like the... Well, we, <laughs> so we kind of have this similar problem in Solus already. Like, I won't go into details about Solus. Basically, it's the chicken and the egg problem. So Broadcom, there is this very specific set of devices with Broadcom that requires the... Um, it's called WL, the driver itself. And so it's Broadcom SDA. So to install it, it has to come from the repos, but it's for your Wi-Fi. <laughs> ah. So before you can install the Wi-Fi driver, you have to fully update and then install it from the internet. And they're really common in a lot of the MacBooks as well. So it's it's chicken and egg problem. So yeah, you'd have to have like split ISOs. Do you post them out a floppy disk? Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I had 47 uh, floppy disks in the collection for you to install. Yeah, you could just post one to the first person, they could post it to the next person, and then uh, you're not wasting floppies. Daisy chaining, reinvented. Yeah. Someone has put in the notes here that there is a arch equivalent to this called Parabola. Who did that? Yeah, I was having a little um, look around on some of the forums for Triscoll, and... There was this was mentioned. There, there was two uh, alternatives. The other one I looked at. I can't remember the name now. It just didn't seem to. I, I think maybe it died by the wayside. So I just left this one as a as as, say, as an arch based alternative. I don't think it's endorsed by the FSF, but it seems to be going after the same goals as Triscoll. Well, they've got GNU on there, so it must be yeah GNU Linux Libra. They say so. Yeah, it's I suppose a good tool for people who like to mess with computers rather than people who like um, Ubuntu. So yeah, that's probably worth checking out. If you just can't stand Ubuntu-based distros, then yeah. I have to ask this. Did any of us actually put that link in there or was it just like the embodiment of Arch Linux that the Google doctors had to tell us that it used Arch Linux? <laughs> well, it's like that meme with the urinals in it where someone's having a piss and then someone stands next to him and then it zooms out and you see that there's like 50 urinals that are empty and then he just says, I use Arch Linux. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so, I mean... Ike, you are a full-blown pragmatist when it comes to Solus. You have facilitated Steam to the point where if I played games, then I would be using Solus because it seems that um, it's the the best experience you're going to have, at least from my research that I've done. Mm. And so therefore you are all in on pragmatism rather than freedom. But has this made you think about it then? It obviously has done because you mentioned the possibility of a free ISO then. Well, to be fair, I mean, I've been thinking along those lines for a while. So I would have to classify myself as a pragmatic dreamer. There is an ideal world I would like to see happen, but it has to be slowly realized. So it's a pragmatic journey getting to the ideal dream. Deep shit with Ike only on Monday. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Don't call it late night Linux for nothing. So what are you actually going to do in practical terms then? Are you going to have a totally free ISO that doesn't have the Steam stuff? Oh, I'm going to do fuck all for now, to be fair. <laughs> like, I'm going to be doing nothing right now. But, right. I mean, down down the road, then, yeah. I mean, like you say, from just from the testing perspective, it's, it's very handy. And 
I would like there to be a day when we didn't have all of the proprietary junk in there. But by the same token, I'm, I wouldn't force it on the users. It's, it's a strange thing, but to me, freedom means having the freedom to do things wrong. And to tell all users of Solus that, no, you must only use Libra software. This is all you shall use. You should not use these unfree and unclean things. Well, I'm then controlling their freedom. All right, to, to an extent, I already do by having an inclusion policy. But it, it's kind of different then to forcing your philosophy onto someone and telling them what software they're allowed to use and what mistakes they're allowed to make. If they want to use proprietary software... Sure, you can educate people, but I don't think you should try and force their hand. So it's not something I would ever do in the land of solos. But having it as an an option for the interested, I would be open to that. I wouldn't make it a priority because at the end of the day, most of the user base are also pragmatic. They have their specific workloads they need to get done. So they take priority. Yeah, I completely agree that you've got to have the option for people to run proprietary software. Otherwise, it's not properly free. I know that's like a lot of the kind of um, FSF type people would disagree with that stance, but having freedom means being truly free to do things that other people wouldn't want to do. And if that means that you facilitate people as a distro maintainer to install things like Chrome and Steam, then as long as the base of it is free and as long as it doesn't come bundled with that proprietary stuff, then I would have no problem with it. I personally don't have much interest. I do generally have Chrome installed because just some shit doesn't work in Firefox, but I would always try and go for the free alternative to proprietary stuff. And I think that Snaps are a good solution to this, aren't they? It's it's one of the other advantages of them that um, apart from all the other, like, you know, the um, sandboxing and stuff, it means that it is trivial to install something like Skype or Minecraft or um, whatever. Isn't isn't like Spotify? Yeah, Spotify, Visual Studio, stuff like that. Like some real hunking chunks of proprietary bullshit that I have no interest in. But it, as long as you're using free software to install them, and as long as it's only an option, then why not do that? I mean, I suppose that makes me a proper pragmatist. But at the same time, I'm I'm going to try and choose the free stuff actually for pragmatic reasons. That's why I started using Linux in the first place. Well, unfortunately, you've got like this other end of the scale. And unfortunately, I've seen this one unfold on Twitter. And I was stupid enough to stick my oar in. <laughs> it was one of those ideological battles on Twitter. It's like, you see it passing, you keep walking. But it's like, hmm, maybe I'll paint a target on my back. <laughs> it seems like a good idea. There are some, I say some, there are quite a few on the GNU Freedom end of the spectrum who would say by using free software you understand the gpl that you are doing this for social reasons and they're not just talking about social they're talking about you know social political reasons these are the reasons that you use free software and they can't understand that maybe people just want to use something because they want to use it yeah like because it does something for them so for them by using linux i'm good news slash linux (laughs) yeah (laughs) saved it Um, (laughs) by using it you somehow are implicit in effectively you know how do I work this nicely without losing my career? Oh. <laughs> um, 
basically in, in social change and social doctrine, you are implicit in that. You are part of that. You are fighting for social change. And I've, I'm sorry to say, but that's not true. For a lot of people who use Linux, and I'm now saying Linux from the perspective of someone like me, who, to me, it's Linux. It's not going to Linux. Then, you know, just using it because they it happens to work for them. It does what they need it to do. You know, I don't go to shop and say, oh, well, I won't have those because, you know, they're not freedom or whichever. It's, I think either end is too extreme. We need a balanced middle. Well, yeah. I mean, failing, for example, why do you use Linux on your desktop? Is it because it's free or is it because it's better than Windows and you can't afford a Mac? Well, I wouldn't buy a Mac. I don't, li- <laughs> I don't like them. Um, yeah, well, that Mac OS has become bloated and stuff anyway, but yeah. I th- well, I do think it's better. Um, and I like the fact that I'm not restricted in trying stuff out. I mean, you know, you'll sometimes hear people say, oh, Microsoft software is great, blah, blah, blah. I'd love to try this, this, and that. And I say, wow, you pay for all that software? Oh, no, I get it free. I'd try it out online. I'd pirate it. And it's like, oh, right, okay. So you, yeah, that's not really the same comparison then at all, is it? So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's why I like all that stuff that I can set off like 10, 15 VMs worth of software and have them all do a whole lot of stuff. And yeah, that's fantastic. It's That's free learning. Um, that's the way it should be. I mean, it's brilliant. So, you know, it's no restrictions. That's what I like about it. Yeah. And Jesse, you're sitting here looking at our show notes in uh, Google Docs using Opera. So presumably you're quite pragmatic. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying about um, snaps because I, I had exactly the same thought. I decided I would go through and install the things that I said should be snaps as part of my predictions at the turn of the year. And I installed uh, Mumble and Audacity there in the repo is not a problem. Uh, Opera isn't. Opera. And uh, I had problems installing it. So I downloaded the Deb and it basically some of the dependencies weren't up to the um, version required by Opera. So I installed the Snap, um, not of Opera, sorry, I installed Snap-D and then installed a few things through that. And I realised that if things become Snaps, all this like dependency bollocks goes out of the way. And as you guys were pointing out, like the usefulness of Snaps is something that I hadn't thought about when it comes to a purely sort of Libre operating system as the base. So it's it's you know, a double whammy for them. But yeah, I'm I'm on the pragmatic side. As you guys have been chatting about, you know, your version, for example, Joe, as to why you're using Linux and um, the question there for failing, what have you? And I was like, yeah, I'm not really sure why I use Linux. Like, why aren't I just running Microsoft? Okay, right, I'm sure I'll come back, back with a really, really solid answer sometime soon. But I just seem to, I've got used to it and I like it. And I feel that for the number of, times that something doesn't quite work smoothly in Linux. And I have to say, this is nearly always when it comes to trying to do something for work, which is an entirely Microsoft shop uh, at home. I, you know, I've shot myself in the foot a little bit just because I can't log into Citrix remotely, or I can't do something else remotely, or they expect you to have a certain thing you can install or what have you. So I have tried to have, I've had to try and find workarounds. If I was then to sort of also be solely free software i'd shoot my other fucking foot and I, like I, I just don't want to be there so yeah i'm 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 not going to be moving towards any of the purely free and open source uh, purely free software um i'm happy with open source i'm happy with that terminology and the next all those sorts of things um and 
that's that's basically where I am. Yeah. So you want the freedom to have freedom? Yeah, I mean, I I, I see your guys' point about that. Uh, I I think I have to come down slightly on the FSF side because I I if you're that clearly focused on a thing, you've really got to be all in. And that's their that's their view on it. Is, is you are all in, and I know that the discussion about by restricting your freedoms by not giving you the freedom to install proprietary things is a restriction on freedom. They're all about freedom, and and it becomes a very sort of that little sort of ball of complexities. But I I have to admire them. I think for being that strict on themselves and that way focused, and that's what their real goal is. And then you look at you know the rest of the Linux community and this huge swathe of people who are running all sorts of proprietary things and blobs and distributions that have non-free software and open source rather than free software, all these sorts of things. And you realize that, yeah, you need that group at one side, but then you have all these other little silos and groups that make up the vast majority of Linux, in my view. So I admire them, but uh, I'm not going to go and uh, join them. I think it's safe to say that they take a very Puritan approach to their interpretation of freedom. And I think it'd be remiss to say that, you know, it does actually benefit all of us. Even if we don't quite view the world in the same way, the the exact same way, but like we share common bits of philosophy, I think. And I think you sort of need those leading the way. Like we're sort of in the mud at the back, you know, we'll take it a bit easy, but I, I still do think you need them, you know, as much as I don't always agree with them. There will be a day when we will have that freedom and we think, you know, fair play for them for doing this since forever and getting us to a point where we have truly open software and open hardware. And I think that is something that is good. But in the meantime, we've got to compromise for our own individual use cases. Yeah, the way I've always imagined it is if you've got kind of Apple and Microsoft and Google pulling at one end of the rope towards proprietary and you've got the FSF, the other end of the rope, pulling towards completely free and the rest of us are somewhere along that rope, if you know what I mean, somewhere in the middle and it's good that we've got them pulling us towards that. Otherwise, if they disappeared and let go of the rope, everything would be proprietary and everything would be shit. Oh, we'd be fucked, completely fucked. But I also don't think that rope would exist without the the FSF because, you know, Stallman saw the proprietization of software and the the move away from giving your your changes and your information to other people and sort of sharing and sharing and this sort of locking down of, of companies and individuals and so moved to stop that. And I like without that movement there would be no rope for us to be on. You know, Linux wouldn't be here. But also, you... I guess, yeah, the, the discussion about where Linux came from and and why... The fact that it's under the GPL and not under some other license means that it has thrived as much as it has. And the fact that everyone's moving towards sort of MIT and Apache licenses is a bit worrying because I, I like the idea of the GPL... It's just difficult that it has some nasty bits in it, which, you know, lots of people don't want to sign up to now. And I wonder, you know, in 20 years time, whether everyone will be looking back thinking, oh, shit, if we'd all stuck with the GPL, then we wouldn't have dot, 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 whatever's happened in 20 years. Well, that is a discussion for uh, another show, I think, about licenses and everything. And uh, we've prattled on too long here, I think. So uh, no doubt we will return to this topic uh, on various shows in the future. 
But we'll be back in a couple of weeks then. And for now, I've been Joe. Au revoir. I've been Jesse. Auf Wiedersehen. No, auf Wiederhören. I've been failed. And I'm Ike and I'm free. <laughs> See you later. <laughs>